Please pray with me. Our Father in heaven, again, we come to you and we thank you for this blessed opportunity to worship you. This opportunity that we have to know Jesus Christ, uh, to have a relationship with him, to celebrate together uh, as, we, as we come together today and we come to your word and we learn from you, from your book. As we come together also later on, we celebrate and sharing in communion with one another as we remember Jesus Christ and what he accomplished for us, for our salvation. Father, I pray that you take this time, that you transform our lives as we encounter you in your word. I pray that your Holy Spirit would shed light on our lives and that you would use his word to, to show us those dark corners where things need to change, where we're not living consistently with what we believe and what we say that we believe about Jesus Christ and the, the life that he has given to us. And so, Father, please help us to understand. I pray that you would soften our hearts so that we would respond and that you would make us look more like Jesus as we encounter you here today. Amen. Well, happy 4th of July. Today's Independence Day. And it's a day we celebrate freedom. Uh, we celebrate the birth of our nation. We celebrate our independence as citizens and residents of a country that we love. Uh, many of you today are going to enjoy this afternoon. You're going to pull out your grills. You're going to cook up some brats and burgers. Probably meet with some of your neighbors and your friends, your, your family. I imagine later on this evening, many of you are going to shoot off some fireworks. The kids are going to be running through the streets and the, the yard with their sparklers, or some of you are just going to let, enjoy watching other people blow things up. You know, almost 250 years ago, our forefathers fought hard for the freedoms that we enjoy today. And many of them shed their blood on the battlefield so that their children could live a, a, different, a different kind of life without a tyrant dictating a way that they, they lived. And we're blessed to live in a nation where we enjoy those freedoms today. This morning, though, I'd like you to picture with me, I'd like you to picture a different kind of 4th of July for just a moment. Picture a country where freedom has been won and independence is ours, but rather than celebrating with fireworks and a neighborhood cookout, we instead gather together down at a public place like the park and... And we go there together to, to gather public taxes for Queen Elizabeth. Um, even though the crown no longer provides any protection or services for our country, we're going to voluntarily come together for a collection for the benefit of our old master. Each one of you are going to tally up the number of emails that you sent over the last year, and you're going to pay your dues. You're going to count the number of cups of coffee that you've had over the last year, and you're going to report how much you've drank, and you're going to contribute your donation based on what you've invested over this last year. And rather than take pride in documents like the Constitution of the United States or Declaration of Independence, we're instead, we're going to turn our attention to a British delegate who's going to speak to us, and he's going to call out the new laws that we're going to voluntarily submit to in 2021 that have been made over in Britain. You're no longer going to question Prince Harry or his wife. You... Um, more than anything else, uh, we're going to submit to the Salmon Act of 1986. You've got to hear this, Craig. It forbids, salmon in suspicious, it forbids the handling of salmon in suspicious circumstances. Now, citizens in the UK have no idea what that means either, but by George, we're going to stop doing it, whatever it is. You know, can you imagine Americans knowing that their freedom has been won, Knowing that a foreign head of state no longer has any authority over them, and yet we voluntarily continue to offer our service to a dictator that we owe nothing to. 
and absurd, you'd say. We won't do it. Freedom is ours, and it would be ridiculous to go back after blood has been spilt on our behalf, right? Well, that's the picture that we actually have when we come to the Scripture. And this is the very argument that we find in the Scripture. We're going to find later on in the book of Colossians as we continue through this wonderful letter that the Colossians received from Paul and Timothy. But this is the, the question, the argument that we, that we find where we're asked, why in the world... Why in the world would we go back to serving our old master when, when Christ has, has freed us from the power of sin? He shed His blood and He redeemed us for Himself so that you and I, so that we could walk in righteousness rather than according to the old rules of our former master. In Romans chapter 6, Paul argues that because of grace, we, we have a new relationship with sin. And he asks us this in, in Romans 6.16. He says, Do you not know that if you present yourselves to anyone as obedient slaves, you are slaves of the One whom you obey, either of sin, which leads to death, or obedience, which leads to righteousness. But thanks be to God that you who were once slaves of sin have become obedient from the heart to the standard of teaching to which you have, were committed. And having been set free from sin, have become slaves of righteousness." You know, put simply, Jesus is our new master, and we serve him. If you turn to Colossians chapter 2, verses 6 to 6 through 7, as we continue our series Greater Than, these two verses are going to introduce us to the main body of Paul's letter. And so far, Paul's focused on introducing some of the key concepts of this epistle, and he's he's expressed his thanks to God for the faith that was found in this church of Colossae. There was a group of people, if you remember, this is a group of people that Paul had never met before in his life. And yet, they had come to faith through the ministry of others that, that Paul did know. And, and, and yet, Paul expresses that, that these people whom he had never met were some of the ones whom, for whom he had struggled and toiled and even suffered so that they could be encouraged by the riches that we have in Christ. Now, the main problem that, we've been, that caused Paul and Timothy to write this letter was that there was a group of false teachers in Colossae. And they were coming to this church and they were presenting this idea that the church, that they needed more. That Jesus was, was a good teacher, He was a nice guy, but if they really wanted to arrive, if you really want to have a relationship with God, then, then you need something else beyond Jesus, they taught. And you need to obtain a, a different form of wisdom, a secret kind of knowledge and the epistle, of, the epistle of Colossians says, no, no, Jesus, Jesus is greater. He's greater than. He's greater than anything. Anything that the world or anyone says that they have to offer to you falls infinitely short. Infinitely short of Jesus. And the message of Colossians is that Jesus is greater. Jesus is preeminent. Jesus is superior. Jesus has to take first place in all things. In everything. And so if Jesus has redeemed us with His blood and we have the freedom of living in His kingdom now under grace where we serve the One who is superior to all things, Colossians asks us why? Why would we willingly submit ourselves to a former, our former master's sin? And as I mentioned, these two verses are going to introduce the main body of, of the, this letter of Colossians. 
And essentially, there are two points for you to remember. Number one, you received the one who is greater than. And number two, therefore walk in him. You are free from your old master and you live in a new kingdom, so live like it. And this is going to be the rest of Colossians. In chapter 2, we're going to focus on seeing what it means to have a relationship with Jesus Christ, who Paul has already argued that is the greatest. He is the preeminent one. And, and then in chapters 3 and 4, we're going to see what it looks like to live out that reality and the realities of who we are in Jesus. Again, in chapter 2, Paul says, hey, this, this is what we believe about our relationship with Jesus. And in chapters 3 and 4, he says, this is how you live out those realities. And these two verses are going to put all that into a nice, neat package for us that we're going to unpack over this next few weeks. But right now, if you would just turn with me and let's read those two verses together before we go into an examination of that text. Colossians chapter 2, verse 6, he says, Therefore, as you received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in Him, rooted and built up in Him and established in the faith, just as you were taught, abounding in thanksgiving. Now, I have a really simple outline for us this morning. Again, just two points. And it's the two points that we're going to go through as we encounter the rest of the book of Colossians. The two points are this. Just as and so walk. Just as this, so then this is how you walk. And when you became a Christian, you received the One who is greater than all things. Do you believe that? One person believes that. Do you believe that Jesus, after we've been in Colossians all this time, right, Brian? After we've been in Colossians, do you believe that Jesus is greater than all things? Ten people do. Wonderful. No. We believe that Jesus is greater than all things. When you became a Christian, that's what you chose. And therefore, you now must live in the same way, knowing that Jesus is still greater than all things. Have you, ever, have you ever felt like the Christian life has some great secrets that have to be unlocked? That somehow, uh, in order for you to truly live out your faith, you have to unlock you know, these special formulas for you. Know, how, do I, how do I do Christianity? Have you, ever, have you ever felt like that sometimes? That I, Maybe I'm missing something? Or maybe you hear something that people are teaching and go, but I, I, maybe it's not as simple as I've been pursuing and I, I need to find something more. I, I've been around some people who are... are thankful for the, the salvation that they've received. And, and they believe that justification is by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. But then they insist that the rest of it is up to them. Now, now that Jesus has, has got them in, so to speak, for the rest of their Christian life, they carry this burden that, that now they have to prove themselves to Jesus. They have to be good enough. And so they work and they earn and they're constantly trying to prove themselves worthy and, and, and they're proving themselves good enough. And, and I'm not saying that the Christian life doesn't include good works because the Bible tells us that that's part of our Christian walk. And I'm not saying that it's an easy road, nor am I, I insinuating that followers of Christ can, can just go live however they want to in their sin now that they have their, their fire insurance. But there are a lot of Christians, there are a lot of Christians that are under this false belief that Jesus 
Save them from their sin by grace alone, but now the Christian walk is to be lived out by their works alone. And they carry this burden of living the Christian life by their own power, by their own strength. And my friends, that's not what Jesus intended for us. I've been around some other Christians that believe in the simplicity of the message of the Gospel. They believe, like we do, that I'm a sinner and I'm under God's wrath because the wages of sin is death. But the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus because He he died in my place. And And so I put my trust in Him and I accept that free gift of eternal life that only comes through Christ the Lord. I know followers of Christ who believe those truths, but but they've somehow gotten this false idea that, that maturity in Christ now only belongs to just a few of us. You have to go through special training in order to, to actually mature in your relationship with Jesus. You know, if you really want to experience the Christian life, they would say, if you really want to mature, then you have to, you have to go to Bible college. You have to learn Greek and Hebrew in, in order to understand your Bible. And, and so they abandon all hope of, of growing in their relationship with Christ. And, and they abandon all hope of being able to have a ministry that God has called them to and, and equipped them specifically in a very special way. A ministry that brings them joy or should be. Now again, I, I'm not saying that the Christian life is easy and, and, or that being a follower of Christ doesn't include challenging your mind. There's a place for academics. There's a place for people to go to seminary and and learning new languages. But there are a lot of Christians that are under the false belief that living out the Christian life is only available to just a few elite people. And that is not what Jesus intended. My friends, these are are the, the kinds of the lies that the Colossians were being told. They were being told that Jesus is nice and all. Jesus is a good teacher, but now you have to do the rest. Jesus was a good teacher, but now you have to discover a special kind of wisdom that comes apart from Him that that only comes if you jump through the right hoops. In Colossians, we've already learned that Jesus is greater. Jesus is the Creator. Jesus is the One who sustains everything. And He is the head of the church through which He is bringing about reconciliation even, even though His creation rebelled against Him. And in the end, Jesus is going to make the whole universe right. He is greater than all things. So now, that leaves the question, what does the Christian life look like? Is it all about proving myself good enough for the grace that He's given to me? Is it all about getting the right degrees, the right diplomas, so that I can prove myself mature enough? What does the Christian walk look like now that my sins have been forgiven and the answer we find in verse 6 he says therefore as you receive christ jesus the lord so walk in him and let's just, let's just think about that for a moment about the, the just as part of this when, when you became a christian you received something and that that concept here it means to accept something that's that's given to you and, and this this particular word it carries the idea of of receiving a body of instruction from a teacher in the old testament this idea of receiving something was it was something that you received in the message of truth and it was passed down from generation to generation these truths about god need to be carried on and taught to our children and taught to our grandchildren and passed on from one generation to the next 
And same thing in the church, that there's this body of truth that needs to be received by each generation. And, and Paul talks to the Colossians. He says, look, you received this as well. This message of the Gospel. And the central core teaching of Christianity is that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God. Some of the earliest confessions. It was, it was exactly that. What Paul has right here. That He is the Christ. That He is Lord. Jesus is the Lord who came into this world to save sinful humanity. And through belief in the death and resurrection of Jesus the Messiah, sinful men can be reconciled to their Creator. When you were saved, you were not saved by any work. You weren't saved by any deed that you could have offered to Him. But you were saved by God's grace through your faith in Christ. So let's ask the question again. What does the Christian, look like, look, Christian life look like now? Now that I've been saved, how do I live out this life as I continue this relationship with Jesus? And the answer is, just as you receive Christ the Lord, so walk in Him. And this is an amazing truth. Don't miss what he's saying here. It's an incredible truth that so many people miss. The Christian life, for the rest of your life here on this earth, as you walk with Jesus, the Christian life continues just as it began. By God's grace, through faith in Christ. And so how, let me ask these questions. How did you come to a point that you were declared righteous before a holy God and you were freed from the penalty of sin? It's through faith in Christ the Lord, Jesus. It's the gift of God's grace, right? Let's look at the other side of that. How will you come to the point that you will one day be glorified? When you go to heaven, are you planning to, to grow wings and fly there yourself and you're going to get yourself to, to wherever that dimension is, whatever that looks like? You're going to achieve that on your own? Or are you depending on something else? It's still through faith in Christ the Lord. And it's a gift of God's grace. None of us would think that, that when, when we die that somehow we have to do something to get us there. We're completely dependent on, on Christ accomplishing that. So, on one side, we have our justification where we became a Christian and He saved us, and it's completely by God's grace through faith. And on the other side, we look forward to eternity where again, we're looking forward to uh, experiencing Him with, without sin, and it's completely by grace through faith. And now there's this whole section in between, what we call our sanctification. As I'm growing in Christ, as I'm living with Christ, what happens in between? All this in-between stuff between your justification and your entrance into eternity. In your walk with Christ, how do you experience that sanctification? And how do you experience freedom from the power of sin today? And too many answer that question differently than the other two. That this part of salvation somehow depends on my power. It, it depends on me proving myself. And they think they have to earn it. A lot of Christians live that way, don't they? And Colossians reminds us, just as, just as you depend on grace through faith here, just as you're going to be depending on grace through faith here, so walk. This walk that happens between those two points, walk in the same way. It is a gift of God's grace. It is through faith in Christ Jesus the Lord. 
And the Christian walk means that we recognize that, that Jesus is the Christ in our daily living. And I am completely, I'm completely dependent on the Messiah for my walk today as I am completely dependent upon Him for giving me new life. And the Christian walk, it means that we recognize that Jesus is the Lord and I daily yield myself in my walk in obedience to my new Master. In chapter 2, Colossians is going to teach us about the realities of our relationship with Christ Jesus the Lord. And again, in chapters 3 and 4, he's going to be, we're going to get some very practical instruction on what it looks like to walk with Him. And so I've entitled this sermon Part 2 because we're, we are already introduced this, this greater walk back in chapter 1, verse 10, where the Colossians were told of the necessity of walking in a manner worthy of the Lord. And so he comes back to that concept, which he introduced a few weeks ago in, in chapter 1. He comes back to that, and now in verse 7, he reiterates that. And Paul gives us three illustrations that are going to better help us grasp this just as so walk today process of the Christian life. Let's look at those. The, the first illustration, uh, it comes from agriculture. Something we're all familiar with. We're all enjoying the, the green around us. Knee high by the 4th of July, I remarked to my wife today, and it's looking a lot better than that. Uh, how are the crops out where you guys are at, Andrew? Matt? Things are looking good? Yeah, a little bit higher than that. Uh, we, we all understand what that looks like what it looks like for something to be rooted. And walking in Christ, we're told, can only happen if I am rooted in Him. And any of us that have done any work on the farm or we've been out in the garden, we understand the importance of having a good root system. Psalm 1 teaches us about the man whose delight is in the law of the Lord. And Scott just read for us how he's, a, he's like a tree that's planted by streams of water. But let me ask you, who grows the roots? Can, the, can you root yourself? Uh, again, if, is your Christian walk dependent upon you supplying the nutrients and on you supplying the power to live the life that He wants for you today? This life of obedience and walking with Him. Yank a stalk of corn out by the roots and, and just watch and see how long it bears fruit, Right? The word rooted in the original language, it's, it's in the passive uh, and it's a perfect tense. Perfect tense means it, it happened in the past and it's continuing uh, into the future and, and through the present. And, and so God's work in the past is giving us what we need for the nutrients to continue on this life. But all these, these words here are in the passive voice, which means that somebody else is accomplishing it for us. The source of the, the fruit that I bear comes and continues on throughout my walk with Him and it comes from the One who's given me salvation. It means that me being rooted is dependent on Christ who put me there. It started at salvation and then throughout the Christian life, Christ is the source of my growth. He is the source of, of what gives me the nutrients that I need as a believer in Jesus. The second illustration, it comes from, from architecture. Walking in Christ can only happen if I am built up in Him. And it's this idea of having a, a solid foundation. And every, elsewhere in the New Testament, there's this idea of being built on that foundation of Christ through faith. And again, the word is passive. It's in the passive voice, which means that somebody else is doing the building. 
It's not me doing the work. It's Christ doing the work through me. Good works are a part of my, my Christian walk, but it's Him that is building on the foundation. Christ is the one doing it. And it's the power of the Holy Spirit in me that gives me the strength. Again, in chapter 1, verse 10, he's already introduced this concept of walking with him. They're, they're, they're the, uh, in that passage, the words are in the active tense. Because I am rooted in him, then I'm able to bear fruit for every good work. In chapter 1, verse 10, Paul and Timothy mentioned the importance of increasing in the knowledge of God. It, 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 is, it is Christ in whom we are built up, but part of that process includes him using the scripture and our knowledge of him. But the third illustration is used in chapter 1 and also here in chapter 2. And it's this concept that's also was in the Psalms where, where God is the one who establishes us. Again, it's passive. He's the one doing it for us. We are dependent on Him to accomplish our present sanctification. He is the one who strengthens us with power. And again, it is God who establishes our walk in Christ. Not me trying to prove that, that provide the source of, of my own strength. Now, I want you to note that, that we are established in the faith, and he adds the words here just as you were taught. Again, the Christian life is not intended to be a series of hoops that you're jumping through. God hasn't made it difficult to understand. Just like with salvation, walking today with Christ is also a process that's by faith. It doesn't mean that it's easy. It doesn't mean there aren't obstacles. But no matter what the obstacles are that you're going to encounter, no matter what the trials, no matter what the, the persecutions that you face, He will establish us through faith. And Christian growth, it doesn't throw away these early truths that we learned about Jesus. Jesus is not only the beginning, He is also the middle and He's the end. However, our passage, it concludes with a, a fourth illustration. I mentioned that there's three, and there's three that are an illustration of this process. But the fourth one, in this case, is not in the passive voice. It's active. It means it's something that we do. The, the fourth one is our response. You see, being rooted and being built up and being encouraged, being established rather, we are dependent on, on Christ's work for us. But the fourth one is our response to everything that He accomplishes by His power. And, and what, what we learn here in Colossians is that in this Christian walk, we should be abounding in thanksgiving as a result of what He has done and what He continues to do in us. Thanks should be the, the natural outpouring from our lives when we realize that the, the riches that we have in Christ. The fourth illustration, it comes from the, the dinner table. Uh, if you look at Matthew chapter, uh, and look at the book of Matthew when he fed the 5,000, that's the word that he uses there. When, when they were finished feeding the 5,000 plus women and children, remember what the disciples did? They went and gathered up the extras, right? And they had 12, 12 baskets, I think, on that occasion. 12 baskets full of, of bread. And it tells us that the people all ate and all the people were satisfied. And then they had baskets that were full of leftovers. And that word for leftovers is the same word that we have here in Colossians. Those leftovers were abounding. And it's this idea of pouring something into another container and it, it overflows. And I can just see the disciples trying to pick up all the stuff. And they've got these 12 heaping baskets of bread that, that came from a couple loaves. 
when I was a, a server in the restaurant industry several years ago, I remember one occasion where this family came in. And uh, it, was, it was like a 40th wedding anniversary, or maybe it was a dad's 60th uh, birthday. But it was a special occasion. And they showed up in a restaurant, and, and it, was, it, it was abounding. It was an occasion where they were going to celebrate family and celebrate their parents. And all the children had come together for this event. And, and they were going to celebrate in style. And so they ordered the finest wine that we had, the, the, the most expensive wine in the restaurant. They were ordering appetizers and food that was going to be beautiful. And they were going to have a feast. And, and there were no expenses spared because they were going to abound in what they were going to share together and celebrate life. And so I was serving on this, this table by myself. And, and I'll never forget how the, the dinner started to unfold. And it was like it happened all in slow motion. Uh, the, the family was all gathered around. The father was sitting at the head of the table. And, and there in the middle, uh, on the, the, the right side of the dad, was, was one of the daughters, the youngest daughter. And she was about 22 or 23 years old. And I had just finished setting up the whole table. The appetizers had arrived. The people were ready to begin. We had poured this very expensive wine. And for some reason, the girl was talking to someone on one side, and she reached out for her glass. And in the process, she, she tips over this probably $30 glass of wine that she had in front of her. And, and it tipped over slowly, and she watched it, and the whole family watched it. And, and I, I, I'm sure that time slowed down, because I, I remember it in slow motion. And, and, and she's watching it, and this wine tips, and it goes down the table, and it splashes all the way to the end, covering the tablecloth and appetizers and filling plates. And, and, and then somehow, this, this young lady got into her mind. She got into her mind that somehow she was going to save it that she was going to fix things. And so, as she's watching this unfold, a second too late, she decides, I, I'm, I'm going to catch it, even though it's already spilled and everywhere. And so, she comes in with her left. And as she comes in with her left, guess what she does? She hits her sister's $30 glass of wine, and it goes splashing down the other side of the table into all the other appetizers and onto everybody's plates. And, and yet, as she's watching it unfold, guess what? She's thinking to herself, this is a disaster, but I can still save both. And so, so she comes back in with her right hand again, and this time she hits her water, and the water just spreads everything all, all over the table. And everybody sat there with their mouths gaping open, trying to figure out what just happened. The girl was embarrassed, obviously, and then eventually everybody had a good laugh. But my friends, that's the picture here, only not the, quite the disaster. It's overflowing. Nothing can contain it. And in our relationship with Jesus, our thanksgiving should be like that. And sometimes it looks pretty messy, doesn't it? And we're just thankful for everything that He's done. And sometimes it's just kind of everywhere. And sometimes it's well thought out. But whether it's well thought out or whether it's something that we're just saying, God, thank You for everything You've done for me. It should be abounding, overflowing, like the disciples gathering that bread. They're, they're trying to gather it all up and nothing can contain the wonders of what God has done for you. And so in the Christian life, we have been given so much by our Lord Jesus Christ. In the Christian life, we've been, we've been rooted in Him and He does it for us. We are built up in Him, and He does that for us. We are established in the faith, and He does that for us. And just like He saved us in the past, He's guiding us through this process of sanctification in which we are obeying Him and walking with Him and doing it by 
Not by our works, not by my own power, but through faith. And in the same way that one day we'll be glorified and be free from the power and even the presence of sin. And that too will be by God's grace through faith. But in that in between, we have this process of walking with Jesus. And today it's the same. It's by His grace through faith. And my response to everything that He's doing in the middle of this is what? God, thank You. And as I thank Him, and as I live out this life of gratitude, guess what that starts to look like? Because I, I love Him and I'm so thankful, then I start doing works of ministry and using the gifts that He's given to me. And as one who is rooted in Christ, something that began back here and continues through the Christian life, I start bearing fruit. And God is glorified in me. And then He rewards me, get this, He rewards me for the things that He's doing through me. The things that He gives me the power to do and that He's accomplishing by His grace. He says, good job, well done, good and faithful servant. All of this, my whole response must be, God, thank You. It was our Kent Hughes that noted that thankfulness is a good test of our spiritual state. A thankless spirit betrays a life which is no longer focusing on the greatness of Christ. It is looking down, not up. Thankful hearts herald spiritual health. We have to remember that we received the One who is greater than. This person, this being, this God that Colossians has been teaching us about, He's the One that you received. Jesus Christ. The Christ. The Messiah. Jesus. The Lord. Therefore, we walk in Him. When you become a Christian, you receive the One who is greater than all things. And so now we live in the same way, knowing that Jesus is still greater than all things. We have to understand that our walk in Christ is still by God's grace through faith, just like our justification as we look back, just like our glorification that we look forward to. Our Christian walk is full of good works, but may we always remember that those are the results of Him rooting us in Himself. He builds us up on the foundation that is in Christ Himself, and He is the One who establishes and strengthens us in the faith. May all this lead to, to abound, us to abound in thanksgiving as we remember what He's accomplished to save us. As we behold what He's accomplishing in us, and as we look forward to what He will accomplish in eternity. As we consider giving God thanks for all that He's done and living lives out of gratitude, I think it's very appropriate that we celebrate communion today. And so as men come forward, I'd like to turn our attention. I'd like to turn our attention to the Lord's Supper this morning. To what we call communion. Something that we celebrate together. Some call it Eucharist, which means giving thanks. And, and that's what we do here as we come together this morning. We are coming here together to give God thanks. July. Fourth of July, we, um, we remember our country. We remember our freedom. We remember the birth of our nation. In a similar fashion, Jesus gave us a command. And He says, I want you to remember Me. Throughout your entire Christian life and throughout this church age, I want you to do something to remember me. And, he, and he, he didn't give us a holiday that we celebrate once a year. 
We have a few of those. But he gave us something that we celebrate on a regular basis, and that is coming together to partake in what we call communion, Eucharist, giving thanks. And we remember Jesus. We remember what He accomplished on the cross. That He gave His life. His body was broken and, and His blood was spilled on our behalf. Every time we do this, we come together and we remember Jesus. And He also says, remember that I'm coming back. You do this together. And you keep on doing this until I come back again one day. If you're here with us today, we, we'd like to invite you to join us in communion if you're a follower of Jesus Christ. If you're a member of another church, or you go to church somewhere else, we want you to know you're welcome to partake with us. All that we ask is that partake these elements that you believe that Jesus Christ is your Savior and Lord. If you're here today and you don't know Jesus, or you're hearing, you're hearing you know, faith and grace, and you're trying to picture what, what is all this, or if, or if you're here and, and you know that you haven't yet trusted Christ, I would ask you to refrain from participating in these things and remembering and celebrating in the one that you haven't received yet. And my prayer is that today you would receive the Christ, Jesus the Lord. If you're here also this morning, we're, we're told that when we gather together, um, 